Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. We were talking about in the Bible study one week, like there's folks who didn't even believe that Jesus was God and like they're still trying to figure out all of what that is. We're not the only ones. (laughs) And so as we navigate this, it's important for us to know that this shows up all throughout the New Testament, but also through the old, that there is a group of people who are called to live in allegiance to the way in which God has designed humanity to function, and they're surrounded by groups of people who don't want to live like that. It just is what it is. That is what that is. Paul was writing in Romans, uh, he comes right out of the bat in Romans chapter 1, and he's talking to them about all these kinds of ways in which people are living in opposition to God. And like he goes through a list, and because we have our amazing children with us, I'm not going to actually read through the list because it gets kind of graphic. Right, like if you've read Romans chapter one, like it gets, you know, it's like, okay, hey now, wait a minute, Paul, (laughs) there's children present. (laughs) If you haven't read it, read it, and then you'll know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But there is a part of Romans where, where Paul addresses what's going on and God's response. Romans chapter one, verse 24, it's pretty straightforward. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Like, there's this whole list, this kind of roller coaster of ways in which sin happens in the world around them. And like, At some point, Paul even talks about them making up new ways to sin. (laughs) Like they were so good at it, they were making up new ways to sin. That should sound familiar. (laughs) We're really good at that. We're good at finding creative and innovative ways to live against God's design. And I think we have in our mind, like God as, yes, this gracious and merciful and kind and just being who does really good things that make us feel good. But then we go to this other extreme where it's like you get the good, happy, friendly Jesus skipping in a field of lilies all the way to the fire brimstone and, you know, dishonor on your cow, dishonor on your family. Like you got this and there's nowhere in between. We either have Jesus smiling all the time or God frowning, right? That's all we've got. But there's this middle space where it's absolutely a part of God's character is to say, like, listen, I told y'all that's not where we're going. I told you that's not what you, you don't actually want what you want. I know that you feel like you want that, but it's not going to go to a place where you want it. Okay, whatever. I'll let you do it. And that's a really hard place for us to navigate because we like one or the other. Because it's not actually mercy, right? It's not even grace for real. Paul uses the word abandoned them. 
which is a hard thing. It's not to say that God's like he completely left and forgot about them. He's not that he said that he doesn't care. That abandon really is to say gave them over to it. Look, if that's what you really want, go for it. The hard part about that is that we as believers actually, we, for whatever reason, because we like Jesus as incredibly loving or like completely outrageous with wrath, we don't have that switch in the middle that says, you know what, if that's what you want, go for it. And we like to kind of pull people in the other way. So I'm calling you all in this moment to that space in the middle where God actually hangs out often and abandon them to whatever shameful things their hearts desired. He continues in Romans chapter 2. You may think you can condemn such people. That's the people who do all of the stuff that's in chapter 1. Read it on your own time. (laughs) But you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Man, that should feel convicting to us. We'll keep going. And we know that God is, excuse me, and we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Some of you are like, I don't do the same things listed in chapter one. (laughs) Yeah. This should be a moment of conviction for us. Pause. A moment of conviction to kind of settle and think about our hearts for a moment. As believers, especially in like America, we have this whole kind of hierarchy of sin. Right? Like, we're like, you know, if you are doing like sexual sin, you in a whole category over here and God is incredibly disappointed with you. And then we actually have a hierarchy for those kind of sexual sins too, right? Like we, right? Ones that I'm comfortable with, God's comfortable with. <laughs> and the ones I'm uncomfortable with, God hates. We have relegated a unique space in eternity of wrath <laughs> for people who steal and cheat on their spouses. But we actually are okay with people who t- cheat on their taxes. Right? Like, we're okay with that. Like, we're okay. we have a whole section of hell for people who blaspheme against God, but we're actually okay with people being racist and blaspheming against those who are created in God's image. We, we just kind of, like, write it off like, that's okay. I mean, eh, a, that's just the way they think. And so, yeah, you may, we may not have a unique, like, affiliation with some of the things listed in chapter 1, and that's not actually what Paul is saying. He's actually saying, your judgment of their behavior, the way in which you condemn them, you're actually condemning yourself because they break the law and so do you. 
And there actually is only one law. Now, there are subsections of that law, but there's only one. And that's important for us to think about. There's only one. Like, when Christ gave this, this greatest commandments, love God your, with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself, everything is encapsulated in that. That's, that's our one law. <laughs> Paul was writing to a group of Jews in Rome, but it's still applicable. There's only one law. And when we break that law, it's breaking the whole thing. And so when I condemn others, I'm actually condemning myself. That's what Paul is saying here. The last portion of this is, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? In some of your translations, it's God's kindness leads us to repentance. This is an important piece of information for us to wrap our hearts around when we ask the question, how can I love well without compromising Scripture? We're starting here on purpose. Because a part of the, why we have the question of how I can love well is not how can I love well, actually. Because those, are, those two things are actually very separate. Loving well and compromising Scripture, they actually all go together. It's not a scenario where it's like one or the other. It is what it is. The challenge we have is how is it that I can still feel good about my holiness while not condemning other people? <laughs> That's the real question that we all have to wrestle with, and that's a challenging one. And if I stepped on your toes, good, because mine was stepped on this week too. <laughs> There's something inside of me that wants to say that the way in which I'm walking with Jesus is good. And so everything else is subpar. We were, uh, Christine and I were playing mini golf yesterday, <laughs> and, um, and she, she whooped me. Like, she's like the actual golf player in our house. Like, she, she did the whole thing, was teaching me how to get above it, right? Anyway, <laughs> and there was one hole where, like, it was like a par two or a par three, and I, like, have 14. <laughs> and she has seven. Here's the truth. We were both over par. But there's something inside of us that carries around a scorecard that says, you got 14, I got seven. I'm walking closer to Jesus. <laughs> That's not actually how that works. It's just not. And in truth, where the analogy breaks down is that there is no such thing as par here. We're all kind of, we're all below, above, or whatever. I can't even remember how to do the scores now. Look, I told you she's the golf player. Above! <laughs> and it's, so it's not about God's anger or his wrath or how close I am or how good I've got it that leads us to repentance. It's actually his kindness. And that's a hard thing for us to wrap around, especially those of us who come from households where that was not the truth. It's like, listen, a part of us learned that punishment is supposed to actually change us inside. It doesn't. Grace does. 
And that's hard for us to wrap our heads around. So the first thing that we have to do when we're answering this question is we got to check our own hearts, I say, for judgy dust. Because some of us have worked really hard over the years to surrender our lives to the Lord in such a way where we're not judging people around us. I think that's great. But there's always this kind of dust that's in there. And sometimes, it's like before, it was a whole kind of like piece of furniture in my soul that was called judgment. And the Lord has wiped that away, but there was some dust underneath that was that's not actually me trying to judge people. It's me trying to feel good about me. That's just the truth. That's what, that's what I call judgy dust, right? Because it's not really about the other person at that point. You're just trying to make sure that you feel good. Like, I'm, am I doing good, God? Okay, good, because I'm not doing that sin, right? We're good? Okay. That's judgy dust. Because at the expense of another person, belittling and making them into just a category I've made myself try to feel better, and that is so far from what the Lord wants from us. So a part of the question of how I love well in a culture that's compromised and how is it that I live close to Scripture is check my own heart for judgy dust. (laughs) But then there's another portion of Scripture in Matthew. And... I actually, this is one of my, this has become one of my favorite parables. Jesus is speaking. He says, here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Did you catch it? The reason why I said first we have to check our own judgy dust is because we might miss something like this if we don't. If you actually continue in that parable, Jesus talks about how at the end, in the harvest, he's going to have the farmers sift through the wheat and the tares. He's going to actually encourage, he's going to be the one who does that. Some of us, a part of this question that we have is we're trying to figure out who's right, who's wrong, and where do I stack up? But a part of that process Jesus speaks to here, and a part of us wants to, we want to uproot everything that's not godly or everything that doesn't align with what I feel good about the Scriptures and everything that doesn't feel good or doesn't align with how I'm living my life. But Jesus is like, don't worry about that. Because actually what you're going to do, if you try to take up the weeds, you're going to pull out wheat too. What? There's a note that I have. When we are overly concerned about the weeds, we create anxiety around Jesus for everyone. 
Have you noticed that? So, well, that's a part of the challenge that we have as the church right now in America is that the whole witness of the church is stained. And it's not because we're imperfect, because the church has always been imperfect. The church has always been hypocritical. That's not new. The church has, all, has never had it together. We've always struggled with unity. We've always struggled with actually how to live out Scripture. That's not actually our problem here. Our problem is that for our own good, our own sake of feeling righteous, we're pointing out everybody else being weeds and in the process making people anxious around Jesus. Because we're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to represent him. So if I'm supposed to be an ambassador for Christ and I'm telling everybody around me that you're garbage, that's the view they have of Christ now. That's actually why Jesus gives this parable. It's because it's actually easy for us to do that. Subconsciously, it's easy for us to do that. It's not because we don't like the other people. And I think that's the part, right? It's not because we don't love. It's because I want something that's inside of me that says I'm okay. I'm good. My righteousness has been affirmed in Christ. I'm okay. So a part of how we navigate how to love people well is, for one, to calm the anxiety inside of us about our own salvation. Because that's sure. If you've given your life to Jesus, it's sure. And just have faith. Because you're not going to be able to assure your salvation by making everybody else look like trash. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And we're not going to be able to assure the salvation of our loved ones by trying to pluck everything out of them that I don't like. Because then we create anxiety around Jesus. He says at the end, I will do the separating. I will be the one who says, nope, good, weak. Wheat, weeds, wheat, weeds, weeds, wheat, wheat. He'll be the one that does that. So when we're overly concerned, now here, I, I did use the word overly on purpose because we should be concerned. It's okay. It's all right for us to be concerned because the, like the whole point is also not for us to compromise our understanding and the way we live Scripture. So we should be concerned but there is a line that we also have to have in discipline. And the first thing that I have to check in myself is, one, are, is there residue of judgment in me? And am I anxious about my own salvation? And those things are really, it's not something that you can just answer quickly. You do actually have to spend some time talking to yourself to process that. If you don't talk to yourself I don't know what you're doing, okay? You got to talk to yourself sometimes. <laughs> and when I actually have gone through that process and allow the Holy Spirit to prune that out of me, prune out of me judgy dust and prune out of me anxiety about salvation, I actually have ability to love in a way that I don't actually have clouded by those other things. 
So I want you to see this image. And some of y'all are like, oh, man, that's a rainbow flag on the church screen. God made up rainbows. <laughs> so, so get over it. We're okay. God made up rainbows. <laughs> but we do need to talk about it because part of it was a question. But I actually think it's a great thing for us as a church to talk about. Before we talk about it, I'm going to tell you a story. I asked Olivia if I could share this, and she said it was okay to. Um, a few months ago, right before bedtime, uh, she, she came and she asked Christine, can I get a rainbow flag? And I was and so, like, that's, that is a big conversation. <laughs> that's not like a right before bedtime conversation, but that's what happened. That's what it's so was like, hey, that's a, we should talk about that. <laughs> Uh, and so we did, and we sat down um, and talked about what that is. And initially, all the discomfort was there, but eventually we got to a space where we could actually have a real conversation. And so I asked, like, hey, so do you know what that flag represents? And so she said, yeah, it's like support of the LGBTQ plus community. I'm like, okay. So... My, my daughter is 12, so I'm like, okay, so I, I know when I, I was 12, I don't know exactly what all of that would have meant, but I'm not going to assume you don't, because YouTube didn't exist when I was 12. <laughs> so, so, okay, well, what do, what do those letters mean? And we talked about the fact that she didn't actually know what those letters meant, and so Christine and I taught her about what those letters meant, and taught about what, that, what those relationships look like, and and I asked, like, is that something that you agree with? And she said, no. I said, okay. Are those feelings that you have? She said, no. And so then, well, all right. So give us a little bit of background to understand why you might want that. And then I can see all the emotion come. Because she's watched YouTube videos, and in between the videos that she's watched, there's these ads of, people who are a part of the LGBTQ plus community coming out and their parents disowning them. And just all like, and how there's no place and they feel abandoned and they're and just, and just, she was emotional. And like my heart also, it's kind of like swelled and broke at the same time. And had to pause for a second and affirm and say, that is exactly how you should feel when you find out that someone's parents have rejected them. You absolutely should feel filled with compassion. You absolutely should feel mercy. You absolutely, that should break your heart. It doesn't matter what they're doing. That for a family to disown anyone, you should feel broken up about that. That is a part of what it is. That's a part of the heart of God. How do we know that's a part of the heart of God? It's because we see it in the parable of the lost son. <laughs> the son goes away, gets into all kinds of mess, and comes back, and the father celebrates. That's a parable. Some of you thought it was a real story. It's, a, it's a, something Jesus made up on the spot, but it shows the heart of the father. And we, too, if we are walking with God, should have the heart of the Father in us, and something inside of us should break when we see that people have been disowned because of their lifestyle choices. However, 
That's not the same thing as saying I agree with their lifestyle choices. Right? It's okay for us to have, it's okay for us to see and not blend and blur the line. It's okay for me to say that I have compassion because you have been disowned by the only people who know you. And my heart is broken up about that. And I want to welcome you into a family that will not disown you. But let's not in any way be confused that that doesn't mean that everything you do, I'm cool with. That's not the same thing. A part of what, a part of this question is how do I love in a world that's compromised or how do I love and live out Scripture well is recognizing that love doesn't mean accepting all things. It doesn't. And that's okay. I know that we live in a country that says that a big part of our value system is pursuing happiness, but it's okay for us to know as the church that that's not our primary goal. Our primary goal isn't pursuit of happiness. Our primary goal is pursuit of Christ-likeness. That's our primary goal. How can I live like Jesus? But a part of how Jesus lived is also welcoming in people who smelled like sin. <laughs> and that's hard for us because something inside of me is also stirring that says, how do I affirm my own godliness if I'm okay with that? I'm not telling you to be okay with it. I'm just telling you to love. And know that loving doesn't mean accepting because that's okay too. And I know the world around us that's like, that's hate speech. It's okay. It's all right. Some things we just have to actually be willing to risk. We have to actually be willing to risk looking like someone who was unpopular or even actually being unpopular, not to say that someone, I don't accept you, I just don't accept everything you do. That's normal. <laughs> That's not abnormal for human beings. A part of the challenge that we have in terms of LGBTQ plus stuff is that we've actually placed way too much weight on sex. We just have. We've done that. We've made it an issue of identity, but it's not. It's not an issue of identity. It's just not. I was talking with somebody this week and just talking about how I grew up, especially in my early adults, hearing and believing the statement that humans are sexual beings. And that's just not true. Doesn't mean that humans don't engage in the act but humans engage in eating, too. <laughs> that doesn't mean every human is a foodie, right? <laughs> like, do you think about how many activities that we do that we don't assign our identity to? This is the same. But because we have assigned our identity to this act, then we mess up the whole thing for everybody. <laughs> human beings, we've got to recognize that we're more than just what we do. We're more than just what we do, so my identity could never be wrapped up in what I do. And when I say that, and when I live in such a way that my identity isn't wrapped up in my actions, 
then I get to present somebody who is struggling with an option that doesn't mean they have to live a way that is opposite of Christ because who you are is more than what you like. Who you are is more than the actions that you take. And I can love you by embracing you without condoning everything that you do. And that's true of every single thing that a person does. As believers, we are responsible to living Scripture. But a part of that word responsible is something that we could also use a little bit of refining in. Yes, we are responsible, but I think if we change our orientation in terms of how we think about it, there are some benefits that come along with actually living the way that God has designed humans. <laughs> it just is. Holistically, I'm healthy when I care for my body, myself, my spirit, my emotions, my mind, the way in which God has designed. I am healthier. And the truth is, this is, is going to mess some folks up. You don't even have to be a Christian to experience the benefits of living the way God designed humans because God created all things. And so as believers, having this direct access to creator God, a part of how we should see this is to just enjoy the benefits of living God's design and live love and mercy for those who do not. Live love and mercy for those who do not. Because that's actually a part of how God functions. But it doesn't end there. We get to invite others to enjoy the benefits of living God's design. Some of us were taught to only fear people away from sin, and that's a way in which I'm allegi my allegiance to Scripture is maintained. Nope. You can also invite people to live the Bible by telling them all of the good and the wonder that it is, because it actually is good. It's good for you and for everyone around you. And so that you all can get out and enjoy your 4th of July, they'll have just one reflection in action. And it's a picture. <laughs> We're responsible for loving. That's it. We're responsible to love. The law that Christ has given us is to love God with our whole mind, soul, strength, and every part of who we are and to love our neighbor as ourself. When they asked Jesus, who was my neighbor? He painted the picture of the Good Samaritan. I would encourage you to read it. But the whole point of the Good Samaritan isn't that the Samaritan was the one who was like, who, were, who was the being rescued. It's actually us, the people who follow God, are being rescued by someone whom we would consider vile. And Christ says to love even those individuals whom you would consider vile. So we are to love Christ followers and to love, I put everybody else because I didn't feel like typing the other letters, but <laughs> love everybody else as well. For loving everybody else is inviting them 
into a life in Christ. That's a part of actually how we love people. Not trying to correct their behaviors. That's actually where we draw the line. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to correct their behavior. My job is to invite them into a life-giving relationship with Christ and let him do the work of navigating their behaviors. That's hard for us, but that's what it is. But also, we do have a responsibility to Christ followers that actually does say that I have some account- we have some accountability. You and I have agreed to live in such a way that is like Christ. And so when I see you as a person who is a, who is a professed believer living in opposition to that, I get to say to you, hey, that's actually not how Jesus told us to live. But that's what that arrow is for. We point everybody to Jesus. Whether you're everybody else or you're a Christ follower, our job is to love by also pointing everyone to Christ, not pointing them to my thoughts about what you should be doing. And at some point, when they say to you, I don't want what you have, you say, okay. If it is a part of the wisdom of the Father to give you over to what you want, it would be arrogant for me to believe that I'm going to do something different. (laughs) So I can actually say, hey, love you, and I'm always here for you, praying for you. Let me know when you want to connect. That's not cutting them off. It's just doing what the Father showed us. I don't pretend that this is easy just because I can make a picture about it. <laughs> but I am saying that when we, do, when we live this way, it's better for the world around us and it's also good for our souls too to stay out of the Holy Spirit's lane. It's okay for us to let him do his job and for us to love well. And when we do, not everybody around will be, me will become a Christ follower. But those who do, will actually be, have, will be better equipped to follow Christ because I directed them to Jesus, not me. Father, <clears throat> we love you. And this is challenging stuff, but nothing is too difficult for you. You have shown us over and over again in Scripture that it is a part of your wisdom to let human beings do what they want to do. (laughs) I surrender to that wisdom. Even though there's parts of me that disagree with it, I surrender to it. You've also shown us over and over again in your scripture that the way in which we get to actually represent you best here is by loving those who are walking with you and those who are not. Give us grace to mature in that love in such a way, God, that you are glorified and that my life points to you. May my life not point to me, but point to you, God. Holy Spirit, give us words to say when we are stumbling to try to figure out how to do this well. 
but more so than just words, Holy Spirit, change our hearts so that we reflect your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, and your truth, both together in a way, God, that creates transformation around me. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others could benefit from hearing about us, please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.